0: Welcome to Lead to Succeed, an interview series with business leaders about economic growth and leadership in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. This show is produced by Invest UP, the leading regional economic organization for the UP. For more information, visit investupmi.com. Here is the host of Lead to Succeed, former CEO of the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, Steve Arwood. good
1: day and welcome to our ongoing discussion uh, sponsored by InvestGP called Lead to Succeed where we talk to leading CEOs from the Upper Peninsula about leadership, business practices and generally what's going on. Uh, With us today uh, is Gina Thorson, President of Stormy Cromer. How are you and how's everything on the Western Front in the great town of Ironwood?
0: I am well, and things are busy and good, and signs of spring here, you know, some days sign of spring, some days signs of winter here in the Western UP, but uh, we're, we're doing good.
1: Great, great. You know, uh, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, Several of these conversations have been had uh, with family-owned businesses, and when you look across the Upper Peninsula, many of our leading businesses are multi-generational, um, People identify with Stormy Cromer, obviously it's, it now seems to be a global brand, congratulations. Uh, but the parent company is Jackwort Fabrics Products, correct? And maybe just give us a, a little bit about the other things uh, that go on in Ironwood, uh, not just Stormy Cromer.
0: Sure, so yes, um, Jackwort Fabric Products was started by my grandfather. So we're, we're into the third generation here and um, that side of the business is a contract, um, cut and sew manufacturer. So we cut and sew things for lots of different industries. Um, currently, uh, some of our big projects, we, we have a great upper peninsula, uh, customer. So we make a lot of covers for boss Plow. So that's one of the things, big industrial covers we make for them. Um, another large client we have is, um, uh, a company called Dometic, which makes, uh, supplies and replacement parts for RVs so we make awnings for RVs for them quite a lot of them uh, every day we make uh, canopies for a company called Rainbow Play Systems and they're those big cedar backyard swing sets that you see and they've got kind of a rainbow colored uh, little canopy on the top we make those so right now a lot of our our non storm recovery work is in big industrial heavy fabric awnings covers that sort of thing but over the years we've done lots of other things, done lots of things for medical um, supply companies. We've made gun cases. We've made some other hats that weren't Stormy Cromer. So, uh, and for a long time, our business, uh, we made a lot of pet supplies, pet beds, that sort of thing. So our motto has always been, if it can be sewn, we can sew it. So we've, that's led to a lot of variety over the years.
1: Great. I I was looking at your bio and you spent uh, 11, 12 years working somewhere else uh, before i would assume you you came back to the family company i, I see that a lot in family owned companies where uh, you know the younger generation may work somewhere else and then come back in or make work work somewhere else and never come back in was it uh a, was it a choice? Was it a prerequisite uh, that you you go work somewhere else? I have I have heard of family-owned companies that really like it when the next generation gets experience somewhere else. Can you tell us a little bit about that background and how you kind of came back to to the to the family company?
0: Sure. Um, I was one of those small town kids who wanted to get out of the small town as fast as they could. When I graduated from high school. So I, at at 17 or 18, I had no intention of being in the family business. So I was following my, my own path. And um, I got a degree in arts administration. I had always been a a, a kid really involved in the arts, but I had clearly, I had a business sense in me from (laughs) sitting at the dinner table every day of my life, living in a family business. So I I got a degree that combined those two things, and I worked in the nonprofit sector in Dallas, Texas, for uh, eleven or twelve years um, for a, for a nonprofit that um, brought arts programming into the public schools. And I had a, a really successful career there. Um, I was the vice president of programs when I left, and, and we had grown to be a, a pretty substantial organization in Dallas. Um, and so by that time, I was in you know around thirty, and I. Um, my husband and I had come back uh, to the UP for a vacation or something. We, you know, we often came back for vacations up here and it just happened to be one summer and we were flying back home and we both kind of said to ourselves, maybe it's time we think about coming back. And I had, you know, always been keeping up with my dad and how the business was going and um, in that time when I was gone is, um, when they had um, acquired Stormy Cromer. And so things were changing and getting more interesting. And I was changing and I think reassessing what was important in life and, and beyond. And, um, we both missed the Midwest. My husband is from Milwaukee, so he's a Midwesterner too. Um, and so we made the decision to come back when, when I called my dad and said, um, how would it be if I came back? Is there a place for me at the company? I, I thought I've never seen a person's jaw hit the floor so fast because I had very adamantly said I did not want to be a part of the business for a long time. Um, but it was the best decision I ever made. I'm, I'm so grateful to be back.
1: you know a lot of people have that same story and and they go get all sorts of life skills and leadership skills and CEO skills and bring them back to a family company. And, and I look at the Cromer, um, of course, we all have Cromer, we all wear Cromer, Cromer, I know people that are Cromer, Cromer. Um, but what was really interesting uh, during the pandemic, and I know that, or, or the continuing pandemic, I should say, but um, you started sewing face masks, and it was really um cool to see on, on social media that people were out there with pictures of their Stormy Cromer face mask on saying, hey, I got my Stormy Cromer face mask today. The brand is really powerful. And the brand has grown a lot since you've been involved. Um, is this something that's been a, a kind of a, a leadership focus of yours is to really propel that brand? And 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 what what brought that idea about to really expand that and and move it to multiple markets
0: Sure. So there's kind of uh, two angles I would I'll speak to. One is that um, really it's a lot of the growth is inspired by the passion that our customers have for this brand, just like you were speaking to. I mean we it you know it starts with this sort of humble wool cap, And people get this connection to it that's really meaningful and it becomes like a part of their family and their family history. And we have all these photos of new babies with their cap and four generations of a family. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Four generations all wearing their cap and weddings with people wearing their caps. And you start to feel this passion that people have and you think, well, maybe I can make some other products and they'll buy them. And, and then they do. And then you think it can't just be people in the UP that feel this, you know, that, that share these values of quality and history and heritage and these things that embody Stormy Cromer. Well, this is, these are mm-hmm. universal values. These can be spread further. And so it's been this um, feeling of our customers and the passion that people have for this, that it's sort of like more than a hat that has, I think, inspired us to keep pushing and growing The other thing that is more business, you know, more on the business side is all of this contract sewing that we do any day. One of those companies can call us up and say, we're taking this business overseas, or we are found a different supplier, or we have discontinued this product. It's very much out of our control that the direction and the growth, um, on those contracts, and so we believe the more we can grow Stormy Cromer and make Stormy Cromer the majority of this business, it gives us more control of our own destiny um, because we make the decisions about where Stormy Cromer is going, where it is made, how it is made, how we're marketing it. And we feel, just feel that from a business perspective, we can just control things a lot more and therefore control growth and do better things for our employees and do things for our community. All those things that are important to us just seem uh, more in hand the, the more we grow Stormy Cromer.
1: You probably feel a certain responsibility too. I mean, managing that brand with all the traditions that uh, you know go with it and what your customers expect and how they appreciate it. How do you look forward and, 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 and think about how do you protect that brand? Um, That must be a a constant conversation within your company. Is it, okay, how do we, how do we do the right thing with this brand? How how do you lead that discussion amongst your team? What's, what's the process?
0: So one thing is that we all have um, these little plaques on our, um, on our, on our desk, can you see it? Um, it says, "Yeah, Gina Thorson, you are the caretaker of a legend." And we all have these—the uh, sewing machine operators, the people shipping the product, the customer service, everyone. We have this because we want to always remind ourselves that yes, we are carrying on something that's 118 years old, and um, there is a responsibility to that. So. First of all, it's kind of in our thought process every day. We actually sometimes say, "What would, would George Cromer like this product? Would Ida wear this hat? Like we actually say that sometimes to ourselves. Um, but we also are trying to blend that with keeping it relevant, keeping it modern. You know, we can't, we have to be a, a brand that people in 2021 want to wear and care about. So it's this really careful blending, I think, of the heritage of the history um, of these values and then making sure that we can keep the brand relevant, that we're, you know, adding products that appeal to, um, you know, a broader, um, a broader demographic. Uh, we don't want to be, you know, when I first came back, it was kind of like, oh yeah, that's the old man Uber hat. Well, that's going to limit our growth. You know, if that's the way people think of us. So we've really been trying to broaden that but all the while keeping the respect for um, the history and and all of the hard work that's gone into growing the brand as
1: a, as the leader of the company and leader of the culture, protector of the brand. Um, I, I noticed in, I was doing a little research. I noticed that you've got a lot of employees that have been with you forever uh, or a long, long time. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you, get ideas from them do, do the ideas come sometimes from you know the people that are sewing saying what if this and what if that how do, how do you lead that idea generation kind of for new product and, and my guess would be that since many of these people have been with you for a long time they're invaluable to to probably the whole
0: process right i mean the new product process does kind of start you know at the end you know from consumer feedback um from our dealers feedback that that they're asking for different products so we kind of start with there we'd also you know do competitive you know kind of check out the competitive landscape what are other people doing that that might work for us but as we get into so we so the core ideas kind of come from from the market right i mean we need to be building products that the market wants so we start there but then as we start to refine and okay so we want to make you know a dog jacket. We went into pet products a few years ago for Stormy Comer. What does our dog jacket look like? Then that's where the team really comes more into play. Um, we're, we're very collaborative in all of our processes. So we have a, a lead designer, but then she works with, um, our engineering team, which is three women who have all worked here, I think they're all, one woman just had her 20 year, another person's got to be coming close to 20 years. The other one's probably 15 ish. Um, so they've been here a long time and they know sewing so well. So they, they, they have they're folks that have, you know, progressed in their career here. They might've started sewing products, but have learned and grown and shown the desire to, to learn more. And so we've mentored, you know, have given them opportunities to mentor with other folks. And now they're the ones saying, okay, if, I see the vision of the designer, here's the best way for us to put it together and to make it and all of that sort of thing. And it, even that gets down to the production line, we're constantly talking to the folks who are actually making it. Even once we think we've totally designed the product, we are constantly looking to them to say, okay, now it's in production. Is there a piece of it that's difficult or that you think should be better? And so we kind of tweak things all along the way from that constant feedback from, from, our, from our team.
1: Have you had trouble during the pandemic in terms of um, keeping your labor force uh, engaged, working? Um, I've heard from lots of business owners that, you know, help is very hard to get because uh, we've we've been through a period of very generous unemployment benefits. And um, can you just kind of walk us through the pandemic, how, you know, how you had to, you know, shift and shuffle and do things. And, and how did the, how did the labor force stay kind of intact for you through that?
0: Well, I mean, the thing for us is that we were only shut down for a couple of days Um, because we pivoted so quickly to making PPE. And and before we made the the plaid storm and kermer mask, we also made some more industrial masks that were going to um, medical facilities and first responders all over the the Midwest. And so we we got a call about making that on Saturday. The state shut down on Monday. And by Wednesday, we uh, had sort of rearranged the plant so that we could make masks. Um, and we started, uh, with a small crew of folks, you know, our office people all went home, but in terms of the the sewing machine operators, we we took our best sewers first and that, that were willing to come back and, um, and they kind of worked out the kinks. And then every couple of days we added more people, we added more people in our instance, the vast majority of our people wanted to work. They wanted to be here. Um, And even, you know, back a year ago, when things were so uncertain and scary and and all of that, we had so many people, we worked, we were working long days. We worked some Saturdays. We had people that had never sewn before willing to get on a sewing machine and figure it out. Or maybe they were doing the final inspection or they were shipping or, you know, we had all kinds of people that never worked in production doing production. And it really Art, I can't say enough about our team and and their work ethic and their commitment. And during that time, it kind of felt like you were, you know, making making war supplies. Like, it just felt like your patriotic duty to do this. And we had very little, you know, of course, there was there was issues with, you know, people uh, who had small children and daycares were closed. You know, some of there was there was that kind of uh, issues, but in- overall our employees were glad to be here. Um, and I, and we just communicated so much with them about what was going on, what we were doing to make sure they were safe. We, we were real sticklers for all of the, you know, all of the rules as they came down and constantly watching that and, and changing. And so, you know, it, that's, kind of continued i mean most of our production people have been working this whole time you know because they were able to stay working and then when manufacturing did open up more broadly and we could go back to producing stormy Kromer, you know we made the adjustments we needed to make with plexiglass and masks and whatever else um so so our our folks have really stayed with us we haven't lost employees which has been great and you know we could use some more people because a stormy Kromer actually had a fantastic year last year which is you know shocking to say, but, but true. And we need, we need some more people. And, um, we have, we, in the last uh, month or so we've, we've hired some great new people. So, I mean, labor's always, I mean, labor has been tough for us here in the UP and in the Western UP for a long time. So it, it feels, it doesn't feel that different, I guess it's, it continues to be tough. And we try to really let our culture be one of the differentiators of, you know, why people would want to come, you know, and work here, um, you know, if they're in this area. You
1: know, I, I, obviously I know your father and, and and talking to you, you're very high energy people, which is, uh, you know, obviously refreshing. Um, But you mentioned something earlier that you've been managed, you've managed to pull off as an American manufacturer in the sewing business when it's so easy uh, probably to, you know, have it contracted offshore for you know a price, um, but you've innovated and you've 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 kind of led that innovative spirit of being able to do this not only in the Upper Peninsula but in America. Um, how do you strategize that? I, I know it's probably I, I know that the brand would probably never tolerate uh, it being made anywhere else, and that's kind of a a really unique uh, sell point for the brand that it is made where it's made. Do you have any advice for other people in the Upper Peninsula who are looking to to do something? Is there a, is there a power in in, in where it's made and that it, you know it's made in the UP or is is there an opportunity there to innovate into other products that are related to outdoor or whatever it is that could really you know build off this kind of idea.
0: Yeah, I think, I think it does depend on the product. And I mean, you have to be realistic about the market and price points and all of that. Um, and I think you, it has to be a product that has a brand to it. Like you're saying it's when things just turn into commodities, it's very hard. Um, you know, depending on the industry, at least in sewing, it's hard to compete. You know, we get a lot of on the contract side of the business, we get a lot of, uh, companies or um, designers or what have you that think they have this great, you know, product and they really want it to be made in America. And, then when they see the pricing, you know, that we might quote them, it's, you know, it's the reality sinks in that it is just, it is a much more costly. On the contract side, the, the contracts we've been able to keep have some kind of unique reason why they need to be made in the USA. The Rainbow Play systems is also, they're made in um, South Dakota and so they're committed to American made. So they want their components American made. So that works out great. Um, the RV awnings that we do our lead time, we we our lead time is about two to three days. So we get an order and we ship it that week. Well, China is can't do that, you know. Um, so we have found these niches where either you know the speed or the complexity um, is something that we can do better than than offshore. You know, for the brand, it really you know it's it's a matter of whether or not made in the USA ties into your brand and your brand values and your cu- customers will find it to be important. I do think the last year has brought Made in America back to the forefront. Um, it it had it was like really a big deal. Seems like maybe five or six years ago, and then it, there was kind of a a little bit of a waning. It felt like, um, but I do feel that the pandemic has kind of made that whole local uh, idea become a lot more stronger. So I do think there is opportunity. You do need to build a brand, and you can't. It can't just be about made in America or made in the UP or made in Michigan. You have to give them something else, you know, lifelong quality, um, innovation, whatever that something is. But I, I do think um, made local can definitely be a piece of, of launching and, and making a successful product.
1: As as you move, uh, grow your leadership in the company, and I, I noticed your. You know, you're very involved in the community. Many organizations, including statewide organizations. Uh, how how important is that to your leadership? I, I mean, is that intentional that you're you're very involved in all these other activities? Um, looks like you don't have a lot of spare time from what <laughs> I'm reading. But uh, how do you view your you know, your external activities from the company as building the leadership of your company?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think some of it, you know, some of the local things that we do and I do, I think is part of the responsibility of owning a, a business in a community is, is being involved. And so, you know, I'm on the city's Economic Development um, Commission. And so that that's, the, you know, some of that is local and I think it's part of what you do. Um, but for me, a lot of the other involvement, especially some of the statewide, groups that I'm involved with, SBAM um, being, you know, probably the, the top one, it's a way for me to continue to grow and develop. And, you know, I, I love being in the UP. I love being in, you know, the, the small town that everyone knows everyone, but sometimes you don't get challenged, you know, if you just stay in your, in Ironwood. So getting out, meeting other business owners, sitting on boards with other business owners, being involved in these organizations, I learned so much from just that experience and the people that I meet and then therefore, you know, have uh, continued relationships with. And now I've got this uh, group of business owners that I can call up and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Have you done experienced this before and how have you dealt with it? And I think that's essential, you know, to my leadership, to the company continuing to develop Um if, if you're not, if you're not learning, you're dying, you know, we've got to keep learning and thinking about how we can continuously improve. And, and those organizations really helped me to do. That.
1: Yeah. Speaking of, of learning and, and mentoring, both mentoring others and being mentored, uh, as you see challenges in your leadership, or at least in your, your process of where you're going, is, is there a go-to person or is there, I mean, is there, Are there people that you regularly counsel with uh, inside, outside the company? Um, One of the things that I find fascinating in talking to very successful family owned businesses is they get a lot of advice from a lot of people, Um, you know, especially when they're they're not, you know, they're privately owned. I mean, sometimes it's around the kitchen table and sometimes it's a group of advisors. How, How do you process through that?
0: Yeah and I think there's I've got some form, more formal and some more informal pieces to that. So as an organization and as a company and this is you know goes way back to my dad's leadership. He has always believed in um getting outside advice and 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 developing and growing and so we've um a couple of years ago we took about 18 of our leaders through a through a process um led by an organization in Green Bay that they could actually call it leadership transformation. And so There's a whole mentoring and a process of us as a group working together, but also getting some mentorship from their their, um, consultants to really all of us grow our leadership skills. And that was a transformative process for our organization and we still are connected to them. And so the folks there, I sometimes bounce things off of. And when I'm struggling with something, they're a great place to go. We're also currently implementing something called the entrepreneurial operating system here Um, it, at Jaguar's it's based on the book called Traction um, by Gina Wickman. And and so we've got a facilitator leading us through that. And she's a great sounding board um, for me to to bounce things off of. And there's, you know, a part of it is, is me growing as a leader so that I can help this company grow to where we want it to grow. And so there's there's some real specific pieces to that. But informally, it, this kind of happened over the last year. There, I've got a group of about, I don't know how many of there are, 10 Um female business owners from across the state we're all involved um th- with the small business association of Michigan but with the pandemic we kind of we started texting each other oh my god what are you doing about this how are you handling this and it developed into something we get together um once or twice a month um on Zoom because we're from all over the state and you know some of it's social but a lot of it is business related and um asking how um, looking for feedback looking for advice um, I, uh, I had to do something hard, uh, with an employee, uh, at one point and I texted them and said, all right, send me good vibes. I've got to do something that I know I need to do, but it's hard. And just having, sometimes you just need to know you've got support and other people that have been there and done that. And they can kind of give you a pat on the back or a little bit of, you know, some good mojo and, and let you know that, you know, you can do this, you can handle it. Um, so, so those are some of the ways I kind of get that. And then, of course, I I really left out the biggest one, my dad, who's across the hall from me and, you know, is really just such a a mentor in his example um, and in his years of experience that he has here. So he and I talk through lots and lots of things as well together.
1: But when you look at your company 10, 20 years down the road, um, do you have a conscious plan? Uh, Is it? I mean, how far out you, as a leader do you, you put markers and, and where does it go for you as you look, look forward? And, and it's this very unique market.
0: Yeah, we're actually having a lot of intentional tenure conversations right now. And we're just as a, as a leadership team talking through that and, and trying to think about wh- where do we want to be in 10 years. Um, so we're still, the specifics are still kind of in process, but, um, certainly in 10 years, um, we hope that Stormy carmer is the vast majority of our business here so that we can focus on that so that we can be growing it. Um, and so that we can have that sort of control that I talked about earlier. Um, and we, in 10 years, we, in Michigan, I know we feel like it's a national brand, but it's not yet. I mean, it is, we, we sell products, you know, coast to coast, but Um, We have a a long way to go in terms of brand awareness once you get outside of Michigan and Wisconsin. And so we certainly have visions of this being a truly national brand and being something that um, people uh, across uh, at least the northern half of the country are are familiar with and that we can, you know, and and then a lot of our goals are community based, continue to employ people, continue to make it a great place to work, um, continue to make. American manufacturing, you know, good American manufacturing jobs here in the Western UP. Um, So that, and and then being able to give back to our community and do other things, um, continue to make, I mean, Stormy Kermer kind of is a destination for travelers and we want to continue to grow that so that it maybe, maybe in 10 years, there's even more here on our campus that is more of a a destination um, uh, for people looking for the history and the feel and the the sort of stormy Kramer lifestyle. So those are some. I mean, really, our future is all about Stormy Kramer. and we talk about that, you know, with our employees. Even those that are working on other parts of the business, they know that they're they're contributing to the growth, so that Stormy Kramer can really propel us forward.
1: As a as a leader, um, you know, with all those responsibilities, there's always the, the, the thing, one or two things that makes you lay awake at night, and think about as you look at the future, you know, threats on the horizon, things that, you know, may or may not be in your control. As you look at that from your vantage point in the Upper Peninsula, in your business, what what are those things uh, that you, that are consciously always there?
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the big one um, for the brand is, can we grow to the size we would like to grow and find enough american manufacturing capacity to support it that is truly what keeps me up at night um we you know there's a ceiling to how big our employee base can get here in ironwood just because of population and other things and also not mm-hmm. everyone wants to sew things like it's not a it's not a, something that everyone wants to do or even knows how to do, even though we'll train anybody. So <laughs> if you're listening to this, we'll train you whether you know to so sew or not. And we have begun to partner with some other sewing uh, facilities, uh, particularly in Michigan and Wisconsin who are subcontracting for us. Um, but you know th- they have the same challenges we have finding employees, yeah. finding people who can mm-hmm. sew. And so that's a real that's a real issue and and also even with the capacity there are certain products that as a brand we might want to get into that just can't feasibly be made here and if you look you know there aren't a lot of 100% american made companies apparel companies you know they're just not out there because it's really hard like I'll be honest it's hard and um, yeah. we actually have ha- um, taken a very limited number of products um, to Central America because we can't we we can't find a facility here who can make those products to our standards and to our quality and to our delivery standards and we've tried really hard and um, but we feel they're essential to the product line as a whole so it's those challenges I mean it's really all about growth challenges how do we create the product? How do we, um, stay true to all of our values and our roots as we grow? Um, the other like pretty practical thing is that a lot of our sewing machine operators are going to be retiring, you know, in the, in the near ish future. Um, we have had some luck hiring some younger folks, but that's a constant, you know, challenge. So I really think our big, our big worries are being able to handle, you know, the growth that I think is, is, is headed for us.
1: Uh, just a couple of final questions and then, um, you know, feel free to, you know, to end with some of your own observations, but what do you see across the upper peninsula and, and maybe for you, what do you see, you know, kind of straddling the, the extreme upper Midwest, but, you know, kind of where you sat um, as, as the opportunity. Um, when you when you talk to fellow CEOs and you work in the community, I mean, um, there's a lot of vibrant things happening, but what what do you see as like, if you were to be able to take your hat off as president of Cromer and say, I'm gonna go start a company because I see something. Um, what do you think?
0: I mean, the, the thing that first comes to mind is the opportunity that's come because of the pandemic. With people realizing, number one, they don't have to go into an office building every day, right? They could, this whole remote work thing has changed things forever. And I think people have also, I think the whole pandemic has made people re look at their priorities and what they want out of life. And I think the UP has this tremendous opportunity to attract folks who don't want to live in a city anymore. They don't, and they've realized maybe they can still have a good job and not work in a city. They could work somewhere where in 15 minutes after work, they can be on the bike trail. They can be on water. They can be skiing. I mean, we have employees here that ski on their lunch break for crying out loud. That's how easy it is, you know? So there are, you know, I think there are so many opportunities now that the pandemic has changed the way people think about work um, and has made and, and you could buy a house here for a great price, live a great life, have your kids be safe and, you know, potentially um, still still do the kind of career that maybe you thought wasn't available in the UP. I think, I think there's, there's going to be a lot of folks moving, moving to places like the UP because they're the the cities are not doing it for them anymore. And we uh, two years ago, this is pre pandemic, but we, um, really knew that we needed to hire a full-time apparel designer. We had done it previously with just a contractor here and a contractor there and kind of piecemealed it, but we knew to grow, we needed someone dedicated to it. And we knew this was going to be a stretch kind of position for us. Like we're going to have to invest in it and really it might be hard to find the right person. And the um, recruiting firm I worked with told me I probably wouldn't get anyone who would want to move to Ironwood. And I was going to have to make peace with it being a remote position, and I could not figure out how that was going to work because we're really hands-on here. You know, our factory is just on the other side of this wall; like we are in it, we are making stuff. And so, um, we I, everyone I interviewed was someone sort of local-ish: Minneapolis, Madison, Milwaukee. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe they could come here a couple times a month, and maybe that would be okay. But I interviewed one woman. From Nashville Tennessee because her resume was perfect and I thought I don't care I got to talk to this woman and our preliminary you know zoom interview was great we flew her up here and we gave her kind of wine you know gave her the tour showed her Copper Peak and Lake Superior all the beautiful things right and um in her interview uh with the with our team at the end she got kind of teary and said. And I haven't even talked to my husband about this, but if I got this job, I would move here. And we were like, whoa. And she did. She moved her family here from Nashville, Tennessee. They love living in the UP. And I think there are opportunities for current businesses to reach for employees they thought they couldn't get. I think they're out there. I think they're willing to have a simpler life. To live in this beautiful, beautiful place we call home. And I think it's kind of taken some of the limitations that I think we subconsciously put on ourselves sometimes. Oh, yeah, no one's gonna, who's gonna come to Ironwood for this job? Well, I think that's definitely changing. And I think we can start to think about what we have to offer, you know, job seekers and and people that that could relocate to our areas.
1: That's a that's a great piece of information. I mean, we hear this anecdotally across the UP um, getting solid data on this kind of remote work influx. Uh, but everyone I talked to is having similar experiences, whether you're, uh, building apartments and, and who's interested to, uh, you know, companies that are trying to you know find technical employees, uh, they seem to be doing okay, getting people to, to, to look at the UP. So, um, I'm sure that somewhere, uh, that just got canned as the Invest UP uh, <laughs> testimonial for relocating to the Upper Peninsula. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, well, unless you have any last thoughts, I would just like to thank you uh, for being part of this. Uh, please give my best to your family and your crew and your father. Um, as a Michigander, I, you know, we're proud of your brand, proud of what you do. And um, thank you for being on the show.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me. This is a wonderful conversation. So thank you very much. This has been Lead to Succeed, an interview series with business leaders about economic growth and leadership in the UP of Michigan. This show has been produced by Invest Up, the leading regional economic organization for the UP. For more information and to check out additional episodes, visit investupmi.com. You can also download the audio only version wherever your major podcasts are found by searching Lead to Succeed.